Tonight, flight banned. Why certain Air Canada flights to Hong Kong are grounded. Plus... When people are doing their own research, the end result is not a good one. The haunting message from two medical professionals ahead of Halloween and... It's the world's deepest diving homemade submarine. Hobby under pressure. A BC man taking his building skills to extreme depths. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with the escalating war of words over the billion-dollar construction of a wastewater treatment plant on the North Shore. Just two days ago, Metro Vancouver, the regional district, moved to fire the company, claiming the contractor had abandoned the mega project. Now that contractor is firing back, and Global's Kamal Karamali is here with the latest. It's a fiery back and forth between Metro Vancouver and the contract company. Asiona Wastewater Solution is now putting the blame at the Metro Vancouver Regional District, claiming it has not paid up for work done to build the now terminated wastewater treatment plant in North Vancouver. Asiona Canada has performed approximately $100 million in contracted work for which we have not received payment. The contracting company also says the project has been fraught with unforeseen challenges and unforeseen problems, including flaws in the design provided by Metro Vancouver. It points the finger at Metro Vancouver for the project being two and a half years behind schedule. An Asiona spokesperson says, for example, to date, Metro Vancouver has requested more than 1,000 major design changes and other alterations to the original contract, while demanding Asiona Canada absorb the resulting project delays and increased costs. Metro Vancouver announced late last week that it has begun to terminate its contract with Asiona to build the new billion-dollar sewage facility. The plant initially had a 2020 completion date, but work was halted last month. Metro Vancouver is now biting back, saying Asiona consistently failed to meet its obligations. And when it comes to the money, the contractor company says it's owed. At this point, Asiona Wastewater Solutions LP has not earned any additional payment. Asiona says it's still working on the project, even though Metro Vancouver has said it's terminating its contract for the wastewater treatment plant. And a source tells Global News the two sides are set to meet later this week. Kamal, thank you. The government of Hong Kong has suspended Air Canada flights from Vancouver for two weeks. The move comes in response to a COVID-19 infected passenger arriving in the region. The Hong Kong Department of Health reported the passenger tested positive on Wednesday after an Air Canada flight from YVR. A second passenger on the same flight failed to comply with COVID containment measures. Four Air Canada flights are cancelled between the two cities until October 29th. But Air Canada's passenger flights between Toronto and Hong Kong are not affected, nor are cargo flights. The airline says affected passengers are being rebooked. There were celebrations on both sides of the Canada-U.S. border Friday when the Biden administration announced fully vaccinated visitors will be allowed back into the states next month. But the same could not be said for those in Point Roberts near Tawasson. Global's Paul Johnson tells us why. No celebration yet for Point Roberts. With the world's longest undefended border poised to start creeping back to normal, the tiny American peninsula will still have to hold its breath. Point Roberts is, and the government admits, totally unique. 
In the last year of normal numbers, half of the visitors to Point Roberts spent a day or less there. So come November 9th, when Americans will welcome vaccinated Canadians, Ottawa's requirement of a recent negative PCR test will make many trips impractical. A test in Point Roberts costs 200 bucks, and they're only available two days a week. It's way overkill. I mean, we're the last ones that want COVID. We got the best record. I am very, very glad I am not the Minister of Health. UBC professor Tom Koch is a specialist in the geography of pandemics and the author of Cartographies of Disease. While he's hopeful we're at a turning point in the pandemic, he says public health officials will have to weigh the low vaccination rate in many parts of the U.S. against the economic and humanitarian reasons to lift the test requirement. My own guess is that it will probably be at least another month before the federal health officials are sufficiently secure that they may be able to lift the PCR test for returnees. But even just another month is hard for people in Point Roberts to hear. Of the small handful of American exclaves bordering Canada, Point Roberts has been hit the hardest. It took a state rescue package to keep its only grocery store open this summer. And just this week, a nightclub known to many Canadians, Kaniski's Reef, announced its closing for the winter for the first time in decades. Chamber of Commerce President Brian Calder has been chronicling their troubles for a year and a half now and has no reason to change his tune. Well, it was bad and we thought we were at bottom. Now it's worse. We found a new bottom. Paul Johnson, Global News. Fraser Health has declared a COVID-19 outbreak at Heritage Village Long-Term Care in Chilliwack. One resident and one staff member have tested positive. Fraser Health is currently working to identify other potential exposures. Most visits have been temporarily restricted. As a precaution, staff and residents undergo screening twice a day. And an outbreak has just been declared at Queen's Park Care Centre in New Westminster after two residents tested positive there. Residents are all said to be self-isolating in the long-term care facility and enhanced control measures have been put in place. It may only be two weeks away, but once again, the pandemic is front of mind for families wanting to enjoy Halloween, especially those with young children. Grace Key has advice from the experts as a Vancouver family makes a statement with their COVID Halloween display. It's another COVID Halloween and social media has been full of pandemic-themed decorations, including one in Vancouver that's brought a few smiles to those who walk by. It's a skeleton with a sign reading, I did my own research. The owner says while most seem to enjoy it, they've gotten a few nasty comments on social media, which is why she doesn't want to appear on camera. Unfortunately, we did get a bit of backlash from comments, which kind of shocked me. I mean, it's a funny thing and we just wanted it to be a joke for people to enjoy, but um, a lot of the comments were actually pretty awful, so a little scary. The couple knows all too well the dangers of doing your own research. The wife is an ICU nurse and husband an ER doctor. My husband's been in the thick of it for a year and a half and it's really taken its toll on him and most of my friends are in healthcare as well and they've been really struggling so I guess we did it because honestly we just thought it was funny we wanted to bring a little light to the situation but also just show that um, 
It's really been hard on us. All the creative things we saw last year for safe Halloween are being encouraged again this year. The new strain that we're seeing can transmit more effectively. And we still do not have vaccine for for young children, particularly that age group that enjoys going out and trick-or-treating. So uh, this year as well, I think keep it outside, keep groups small, do some of those really fun things that that worked last year, having uh, outdoor uh, events for especially if they involve children who are uh, under 12 and not yet vaccinated. The BC CDC has some tips to safely hand out candy, use tongs, a baking sheet, or make a candy slide. Set up outside if you can, and they discourage hands reaching into shared bowls. As always, make sure your ghosts and goblins can be seen in the dark with lights or reflective tape, and check your candy for broken wrappers. Just a few reminders to make sure your little ones have a safe Halloween. Grace Key, Global News. And the B.C. Conservation Officers Service is recommending people keep their pumpkins inside until the big night. The scent of a carved pumpkin on a front porch could attract hungry bears, which of course creates a public safety risk. Decorated jack-o'-lanterns are already popping up in many neighborhoods, including on the North Shore, which is bear territory. Conservation officers recommend only displaying pumpkins on Halloween and then bringing them in at night before disposing of them properly. For the second straight day, climate change protesters block traffic in Vancouver. (music) Members of Extinction Rebellion marched to the intersection of Broadway and Commercial and blocked traffic as they called on federal and provincial governments to cancel their support for fossil fuel projects. The intersection has reopened and six people were arrested after refusing to leave. On Saturday, protesters also blocked Burrard in Georgia. Four people were arrested there. It is all part of daily protests leading up to the climate change conference in Scotland next month. Abbotsford police are investigating after a number of suspicious people were believed to have been carrying guns. According to police, the group was seen walking in possibly armed with guns in the area of Kipling Street and King Road early Saturday morning. Now, a similar sighting was spotted Thursday, but only reported to police this weekend. Police say they will remain in that area to canvas for information and to ensure public safety. A 35-year-old man has gone missing near Clearwater, and police need help to find him. Daniel Ritchie was last seen on Wednesday. He had rented a Ford pickup on October 8th after his regular car was put in for repairs in Kamloops. His rental car has now been found abandoned 14 kilometers up a forest service road in East Blackpool. Ritchie is 5'8 and 175 pounds. He has brown hair and brown eyes. Anyone with information on his whereabouts should call their local police or Crime Stoppers. And Surrey RCMP are asking for help to locate a missing 55-year-old man. Kulvinder Puni was last seen October 10th, and his family is concerned for his well-being. His last location is unknown, but he does spend time near Scott Road and 72nd Avenue. Puni is about 5'8". He has black hair, a black goatee, and dark eyes. If you know where he is, call Surrey RCMP. Just ahead, Chinatown reimagined the work to revitalize the historic Vancouver neighborhood. And we'll introduce you to the Sky Medic. Find out how this drone technology could be a lifesaver in remote BC communities. That's later. Welcome back. The future of Vancouver's Chinatown is the focus of an online community forum launched by the city 
and UBC. Kristen Robinson has more on Chinatown Reimagined and the work underway to revitalize the historic neighborhood hit hard by the pandemic. For Michael Tan, this is home. Everyone has a story about how they're connected to Chinatown. And, you know, for me, it's, it's been family. It's been that culture. Tan spent his early childhood in a second floor SRO on East Pender. He was born shortly after his family arrived in Vancouver from China in 1983. Some of my earliest memories were you were playing there and hearing uh, lion dancing and drums from upstairs. He honed his martial arts skills in Chinatown, later leading the Lunar New Year Parade for over 22 years and teaching kung fu and lion dancing to young people looking to connect with their Asian heritage. The collisions that take place in terms of the people, uh, that's where a lot of that culture lies. Today, Chinatown is home to more than 420 businesses. The community, born out of racism and the struggles of Chinese Canadians, saw anti-Asian hate surface during the pandemic, along with graffiti and street disorder. What's special about this neighborhood is at risk. In September 2018, the city of Vancouver and the province signed a memorandum of understanding on a joint commitment for a UNESCO designation, which would see Chinatown protected and preserved as a World Heritage Site. If successful, Vancouver's Chinatown will be the first Chinatown to receive such recognition. Chinatown Reimagined is the culmination of a three-year process to engage the community. A video series highlighting the importance of cultural heritage, including people and legacy businesses. It won't necessarily be the same, but we want that feeling, right? What is it in the air when you come into Chinatown that, that you feel in your bones that makes the neighborhood special? And inviting. Safe walk and safe refuge programs aiming to make seniors and visitors feel comfortable again. We want people to feel safe coming to Chinatown. You know, if it is lost, it's lost forever. Tan kicking up his fight to ensure that doesn't happen. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And the city is inviting feedback. If you'd like to share your visions or tangible ideas for the future of Vancouver's Chinatown, online community forums continue next Friday and Saturday. You can register for free at ChinatownReimagined.ca. An environmental group is raising concerns about plastic pollution after heavy rain washed thousands of industrial pellets into a drainage channel in Delta. Saturday's discovery was the second time in as many years that pellets have appeared in the Audley Canal on Anasis Island. The pellets are an industrial-grade form of plastic polymer. When they spill during transport or production and are not cleaned up, they can get caught up in waterways. It's incredibly difficult to clean up uh, and uh, as the pellets disperse in the water, um, they soak up toxins, uh, marine life are known to eat them, um, they collect on the beach. The other thing is it doesn't just go away. Um, you know, when you hear about an oil spill, sometimes they say, well, it's okay, a little bit of oil will spill, it'll dissipate and uh, evaporate. Uh, well, that doesn't happen in this case. The plastic uh, persists. The city of Delta says it will investigate the incident and take action as necessary to address any issues. It also says the canal is connected to the Fraser River through a pump station, which is designed to capture any pieces of plastic before they enter the river. 
Officially, a strike involving U.S. film and TV crews has been averted for now, but there are rumblings tonight of major opposition to the proposed deal. We'll have the latest coming up, but first. It felt like a very public uh, attack on my integrity. A global exclusive, the woman at the heart of an investigation involving a top naval commander speaks out. Hear from her next. The woman at the heart of an investigation involving a top naval commander is speaking out about a letter he sent to top officers. In it, Admiral Art McDonald makes the claim he's been cleared and should get his job back. Now, he was under investigation for allegedly assaulting Navy Lieutenant Heather McDonald during an alcohol-fueled party on HMCS Montreal while it was docked in Greenland on an international exercise back in 2010. Admiral Art McDonald was the task force commander at the time. Our Mercedes Stevenson sat down with Navy Lieutenant Heather McDonald, who came forward with the allegation and has this exclusive report. It felt like a very public uh, attack on my integrity. Um, and I was disappointed to say the least. Navy Lieutenant Heather McDonald says she was shocked to see a letter from Canada's top admiral sent to military brass publicly denying any sexual misconduct and claiming military police had exonerated him after an investigation into whether he sexually assaulted her on a Canadian warship. I was debriefed by CFNIS and at no point did they say that my statement was unsubstantiated completely or that he had been exonerated. Heather McDonald says she knows there are witnesses who spoke to military police and corroborated her allegation against the Admiral. There were several witnesses who did collaborate my story. Um, at least one was the duty officer, so um, he was sober and he did collaborate my story. An important fact on a night when many allegedly said they were too drunk to remember. One or two collaborations were not quite enough to um, compare to the many. I don't remember, it was 10 years ago, I'd been drinking, I didn't see it clearly. Global News spoke to an eyewitness who was on board the ship that night, a naval officer who says he clearly remembers what happened and that Heather McDonald is telling the truth. That officer told Global News he gave a statement to military police cooperating the allegations. Admiral McDonald is alleged to have shoved the face of the ship's captain into Heather McDonald's partially exposed breasts after she lost a button off her shirt. Military police said the investigation did not produce evidence to support the laying of charges. Did not surprise me in the least that the they are unable to charge or prosecute the most senior officer in the Canadian Armed Forces. Despite that, she says the story was well known and there are others who were aware of what happened. I know of at least one person who had been using it as a story to illustrate um, the generational gap um, of, of what is ethical and moral. While McDonald feels military police conducted a professional investigation, she thinks had the case gone to civilian prosecutors, it would have been a different story. I certainly think that the difference between the military prosecutors and uh, civilian prosecutors would have changed the outcome of the case, yes. And now she's left to carry on with her career in the military, as the Admiral fights to once again be Canada's top commander. For me, it was very jarring for me, and for him, it was a footnote 
you know, like he, he, it is very possible that he doesn't clearly remember that night. But McDonald has not heard from the Admiral, nor has he apologized. I would like Admiral McDonald to uh, look into what reconciliation means and um, maybe if, if after going through that process, he, he felt the need to apologize, I would welcome it. Heather McDonald is also calling on Parliament and politicians to take action on the recommendations for change in the Canadian forces instead of waiting for yet more reports. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News, Victoria. Police in southern Ontario and Nova Scotia were called out this weekend to deal with large, unruly homecoming street parties. It's the best weekend ever. In Kingston, the rowdy partying happened near Queen's University. Police say an officer was taken to hospital after projectiles were thrown at them as large crowds gathered. Numerous arrests were made and attendees were slapped with fines of up to $2,000 each. In Wolfville, Nova Scotia, not far from Acadia University, hundreds of students partied on the town streets and in backyards. Some partygoers were handed tickets for open liquor and violating health orders that prohibit informal outdoor gatherings. A Canadian missionary is among a group of people thought to be kidnapped in Haiti. The U.S. State Department says as many as 16 Americans may also be held captive. According to Christian Aid Ministries, the missionaries were visiting an orphanage in the country. Global's Jennifer Johnson reports. The kidnapped group was part of the Ohio-based Christian Aid Ministries that has done charity work in Haiti for the past 15 years. The missionaries, seven women, five men and five children, were leaving an orphanage when they were abducted. Police believe the same violent gang that kidnapped five priests and two nuns in April is also responsible for Saturday's abductions. We need to track down where they are and, and see if uh, you know negotiations without paying ransom are possible or, or do whatever we need to on a military front or, or police front. One of the missionaries who was taken reportedly posted a call for help on WhatsApp saying, please pray for us. We are being held hostage. They kidnapped our driver. Pray, pray, pray. We do not know where they are taking us. Haiti is again seeing a surge in gang violence. There was a brief pause after the assassination of President Jovenel Moise in July and an earthquake that left more than 2,200 dead in August. But there have been hundreds of kidnappings since, including school children, doctors, police officers, and busloads of people. With gangs, food shortages, and political turmoil overrunning the island nation, Haitians are fleeing. Last month, thousands encamped at the Mexico-Texas border seeking a better life. The U.S. deported most to Mexico and flew thousands of others back to Haiti. Just days ago, the U.N. and U.S. pledged more aid for Haiti's national police after high-level officials visited the country. But Haitians plan to protest Monday, decrying the lack of security and poverty overwhelming their country. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. A last-minute deal was reached Saturday, averting a strike by film and television crews across the U.S. But there are concerns the agreement could be rejected by members. Following days of marathon talks, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees and studios and entertainment companies who employ them reached a three-year contract agreement before a Monday strike deadline. The two sides have been at odds over working conditions, and any strike action would have been the first in the union's 128-year existence. A ratification vote will be held in several weeks, but some online chatter suggests workers expressed frustrations with the terms. 
Representatives of the B.C. chapter of IATSE are currently in separate talks with their employers. Just ahead tonight, raking leaves isn't a waste of time. Why experts say leaving them alone could actually help the environment as the news hour continues. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Don't feel like raking leaves off your lawn? Well, we have some good news for you. The Nature Conservancy of Canada says leaving fallen leaves on your grass is actually doing your part for conservation. One or two layers of leaves provides a place for insects to stay safe in the winter. It also acts as a way for birds like woodpeckers, hummingbirds and pigeons to feed. What's more, it's actually good for your lawn. That's because the leaves will break down as colder weather sets in, which provides nutrients for your grass. But the conservation group warns pine needles are acidic and can kill your lawn. And if your neighbors are giving you a hard time or think that you're being lazy or they're giving you the stink eye, you can say that you're actually helping the environment. We call it what's a small act of backyard conservation. Great gourd, the biggest and the best from Wanick. That's right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, a reminder that a very important week for BC's kids begins tomorrow. The sixth annual Variety Week runs Monday through Friday. It's a chance for all of us to come together to help BC's kids with special needs. Each day, we will bring you stories of these amazing kids, including how they continue to thrive thanks to your generous donations. We're excited for that this week, and we're excited for a break from this rain, Yvonne. I <laughs> yeah. hope it's coming. It was what's, uh, what a soaker it's been over the weekend. We've had a significant amount of rain, all courtesy of an atmospheric river, and a nice break in between systems as we get into back to work and school. A quick glance at what it looks like overlooking our tower cam right now. Temperatures are sitting at 9 degrees, a bit of a breeze, though, off the water. Northwesterly sitting at 22 kilometers per hour. Some unofficial numbers, and these were from Thursday evening all the way in towards this morning, but we could see Port Mellon, that's at Howe Sound, with over 330 millimeters of rain. Squamish, incredible. 161 out of West Van, 153 Tofino, and out of the harbour, over 100 millimetres of rain. It is easing off, which is great news for this evening. We'll start to see it tapering off, even for eastern areas and stretching in towards the Fraser Valley. Zooming on out, we still have a few isolated showers across the island, but much lighter in comparison to what we've been tracking over the weekend. And here's the break that we're anticipating for back to work and school tomorrow. A weak ridge of high pressure is building in place, and then this will be the next weather maker that is going to move in across the south coast by midweek for our Wednesday. So a nice break across the region for tomorrow. We will look ahead, though, towards our Tuesday night. That's we'll start to see some precipitation moving in along the north coast. Now, overnight tonight, heads up, though, we do have some fog developing, and that'll be towards our morning hours on Monday. Overcast, fog, and then dissipating. Some breaks towards the afternoon underneath the mix of sun and cloud and temperatures climbing up to 11 degrees. Mainly cloudy along the northern half of the province, but a dry day in store. It's really by Tuesday evening that a chance for some showers will start to develop across the region. It is cool though areas into the piece for Fort Nelson just getting up above the freezing mark much of the central interior tomorrow underneath the partly cloudy sky. It's still mild for the southern interior with highs even getting up to 17 degrees near Castlegar. Along the south coast we've got cloud cover, some fog for the morning hours. It'll dissipate 
eastern areas and stretching into the Fraser Valley and hope included within that will still hang on to some cloud cover and a few isolated showers in the early morning hours. Now our five-day forecast looks pretty pleasant. Once we get past the morning hours, we've got some sunshine in the mix. Tuesday looks to be one of the nicest days out of the bunch. Get out and enjoy that. Temperatures even up to 14 degrees. The next weather maker looks to be on our Wednesday onwards. A bit unsettled, but a great start to the work week so far. Jordan? Tuesday looks just perfect. Thanks, Yvonne. Wanak Lake, east of Maple Ridge, was the place to be for pumpkin enthusiasts competing in the Wanak Giant Pumpkin Contest. It's the third year for this event. There were prizes handed out for heaviest pumpkin, smallest pumpkin, crowd favorite, and even survivor pumpkins. The heaviest gourd this year, 477 pounds. The objective is it's a community building event. That's right. the objective. Um, but the, the competitive component is whoever grows the biggest pumpkin. And it's become quite a um, survival event because uh, out in Wanak we have lots of bears and we have chickens and goats and things that eat pumpkins. Now the second heaviest pumpkin was 268 pounds, so it really was no contest there. The smallest was so small it didn't even register on the scale. Well, it looks like everyone had a good time despite the rain. Yeah. How would you get, uh, like, your pumpkin there? You know, <laughs> you need someone how many with people a big do you truck? need yeah. to lift a 500-pound pumpkin into Forklift. the back of your truck? Yeah, Impressive. for sure. And a strong back. <laughs> Barry, a match that matters for the Whitecaps tonight. Yeah, real big one, uh, uh, guys. They uh, take on Sporting Kansas City, and uh, we'll have a feature on Brian White, who is really been the offense for the Whitecaps literally over the past month or so. So that's coming up. And Seahawks, man, this is new territory. First game in over a decade that Russell Wilson is not playing quarterback. Of course, he has the injured finger. And what are the Seahawks like without Russell Wilson? They're really dull. <laughs> Nothing going on for them right now against the Steelers. Will If we can find a highlight, we will put it on for you. Coming up. He's going back to the sports department to look. Yeah. All right, thanks, Barry. Also coming up on the news hour, help from above. The ability to get things to faraway places is something we need to continue to endeavor to improve on. Technology to bring medical supplies to remote BC communities. That's just ahead. help and supplies to remote communities is a constant challenge. People are often required to travel long distances to get the care they need. Now, a $750,000 project in north central BC aims to fix that. Ollie Herrera of CKPG News has the story. Meet SkyMedic. A product of Drone Delivery Canada, a company that's now partnering with UBC Saladin First Nation, and the village of Fraser Lake to help bring medical supplies to remote communities in northern BC. It's from a $750,000 grant, and it's now the first-of-its-kind project in the province. The ability to just get things to faraway places is something we need to continue to endeavor to improve on and advocate for. And, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, some of the communities that we go to, just getting a simple COVID swab to a lab was was a monumental effort. On Wednesday, SkyMedic took its first flight test flying over Fraser Lake. Drone technology has the ability to be able to provide more timely access, uh, to be able to transport things more safely in a more timely manner, um, to ensure that uh, remote, rural and Indigenous communities um, have more equitable access to healthcare services. It's a stepping stone for the province. 
Researchers want to be able to deliver supplies like blood samples for tests and prescriptions. But the sky isn't the limit in this case. Last month, the world's first ever lung transplant by drone took place in Ontario, which is keeping this team optimistic. I think the, the list of, of life-saving uh, you know, products will be added to, to this part of, the, of our work. And the village's mayor believes that SkyMedic is exactly what Fraser Lake needs. Whether it's a clinic or, or, or uh, you know, med the medicine center here in Fraser Lake, for instance, if they're out of a particular medicine, those types of things, those types of services obviously are really impactful. Those will help out our elders and our seniors that really need those services. UBC is going to spend the next 12 months testing out the limitations of the drone, such as how much weight it can carry and how it can fly in certain weather conditions. Next up is phase two to see how it can be integrated into the medical field. So we're still a couple of years off from seeing SkyMedic in flight. Ollie Herrera, CKPG News. A big game for the Whitecaps tonight. Barry DeLay has sports next. Plus, some people collect stamps as a hobby. This guy, though, he builds his own submarines. Variety Week returns to Global BC. From October 18th through 22nd, tune into Global's newscasts all week and meet the kids who need your help now. Call 310KIDS or donate at variety.bc.ca and your donation will be matched. This fall, let local experts share their wealth of experience as they take you on a guided tour of Kelowna's iconic wine country. Roam sun-soaked vineyards, sample new releases, and enjoy the rich fall colors. Check travel advisories before traveling. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. Soccer night in Vancouver, and Barry's here with sports. Mm, I would guess that uh, roof is going to be closed tonight. Looking like but it, eh? Hopefully yeah. for the fans' sake it is. Yeah, thanks, Jordan. The Whitecaps uh, have a crucial game tonight at BC Place against Sporting Kansas City. Whitecaps need a win to get within one point of the final playoff spot in the West. Now, Brian White has been a one-man wrecking crew for the Caps with nine goals in his last 11 games, and he'll have to remain white-hot to get the Caps into the postseason. Almost the same spot. White is there! What a night for Brian White. If it seems like Brian White is scoring every Whitecaps goal these days, it's because it's true. The Whitecaps have scored six goals in their last six matches, and Brian White has scored all of them. To the middle, and Brian White! Obviously, you like to keep your feet on the ground and not get carried away because, you know, Slumps can happen at any moment, but you know, I, you know I'm confident in scoring goals. And I feel good on the field, connecting with the other guys. So, just hoping to build off every game, keep scoring goals, and helping the team win. Not coincidentally, White's hot streak pretty much started when Ryan Gauld joined the team. Gauld has assists on three of White's goals and has been in the middle of a few more. It has been a lethal combination so far. The more minutes you can play with someone, the quicker you're going to build up that kind of playing relationship and understand, you know what you can give to each other and what you can bring. White was acquired by the Whitecaps from the New York Red Bulls in June and scored in his very first game as a Whitecap, but then he went cold, going 10 games without scoring. It definitely took him some time to find his feet on and off the field. Living in New Jersey my whole life, playing at home, uh, then moving to Salt Lake, knowing it was going to be temporary, then moving again to Vancouver. So there's a lot of adjustments, a lot of things to... You know, settle in with and you know, it might have taken me a little bit of time uh, off the field to kind of ca calm down a little bit and relax and get used to my new home. 
And it also helped to have a fellow New Jerseyite on the team, Jake Nerwinski. We're, we're very similar, just, you know, two New Jersey guys. We have the same kind of uh, same kind of likes and stuff like that, but um, he's really good for the locker room. You know, he's well-liked by, I think, everybody, so um, he, he's a really good guy to bring in. With Lucas Cavallini having another underwhelming season, White has been a game-saver for the Caps, and he'll have to keep that hot streak going over the final six games to give the Caps a fighting chance to make the playoffs. He's a very hard worker, so, you know, anything that he's told to do, it seems to enter his head and, and he does it so um, you know everything that he's he's been doing the last few weeks he's definitely a guy who deserves it. Well just four weeks ago the Lions were four and two and had three straight home games coming up they had designs on making a push for first place in the West but instead it's gone the other way. They were hammered 39-10 to 10 last night by the Stampeders at BC Place. Their third straight home loss. They've been outscored 69-19 to 19 in their last two home games. I don't know. There just was an energy missing. And I, I'm surprised because we had a really good week of practice and the guys were into it and all that stuff. And uh, we're just going to have to find ways to improve and, uh, and uh, compete better in games. If I'd have been on, you know, probably would have had a much different uh, outcome, but uh, i got to get it figured out, there's no doubt. It's been a decade since the last time a quarterback other than Russell Wilson started for the Seahawks. That's a span of 165 regular season and playoff games, but with Wilson out with the finger injury for the first time in his career, it'll be Geno Smith at the controls, at least for the next three games. First up, the Steelers in Pittsburgh in prime time. Russell on the sidelines, first time ever, Without a uniform on, an opportunity for Geno Smith to show his stuff. First quarter, third down, and Smith with the completion to Travis Homer, who eludes a couple of tackles. It's a big gain. 27 yards for the first down. That's been the biggest play by far for the Seahawks. They're under 100 yards total offense late in the first half. But the Steelers, after Seattle's defense held them off for the first quarter and a half, get it uh, on the board here. Najee Harris, the rookie with the touchdown. It's now 14-0 Pittsburgh late in the first half. Meanwhile, unbeaten Arizona looking for a sixth straight win to start the season, visiting Cleveland. Second quarter, Kyler Murray to DeAndre Hopkins, who does a juke, a jive, and another juke. 13-yard touchdown. Cardinals jump out 14-0 over Cleveland. Final play of the first half. It's a big Cardinal lead, but Baker Mayfield with a mighty heave and a prayer. And it's answered, if you can believe it, Donovan Peoples-Jones, 57-yard touchdown, and the Browns have some hope now, down just 9 at 23-14. But in the third quarter, Mayfield goes down hard on his throwing shoulder, which was sore to begin with. That hurt, fumbled there as well. He did return to the game, but the Cards take it back the other way. Murray to a wide-open DeAndre Hopkins and the Cardinals. A perfect 6-0 after beating up the Browns, 37-14. Meanwhile, also NFC West power LA Rams on the road in New York to play the Giants. Rams exploded for four second-quarter touchdowns. This one, a 25-yarder from Matthew Stafford to Daryl Henderson Jr., 28-3 at the half, and the beatdown continued in the second half. Stafford to Cooper Cup for his second touchdown of the game. Rams keep pace with Arizona. They go to 5-1 after thrashing the Giants 38-11. 
Patriots and Cowboys. Dallas off to a 4-1 start, a wild finish. Patriots leading 21-20, but their rookie quarterback, Mac Jones, is picked off by Trevon Diggs, and he races back 42 yards for the touchdown. Dallas leads 26-21, but Patriots get the ball right back, and the kid makes up for it, goes right back at Diggs again, and this time he burns him. It's a 75-yard touchdown to Kendrick Bourne, and New England is back out front by three. Now Dallas would force overtime with a late field goal, and NOT Dak Prescott on the run. Fires to C.D. Lamb, 35-yard touchdown. Prescott, 445 yards passing, three TDs. Cowboys go to 5-1 and one with the thrilling OT victory. The Canucks have the day off after playing three games and four nights to start the season. They continue their road trip Tuesday in Buffalo, and we could see Brock Besser make his season debut. Uh, he's been out with an undisclosed injury for about two weeks. If uh, not in Buffalo, it'll be Thursday in Chicago. Travis Green said... They brought Besser on the road trip for a reason, meaning they fully expect he would play at some point. Meanwhile, the baby Canucks, Abbotsford Canucks, their opening AHL road trip out in uh, California, tied 2-2 out in Ontario with the Kings farm team through two last night. The Canucks lost to Bakersfield, the Oilers affiliate, 5-3 in their season opener. NHL tonight, just one game. Rick Bonus and the Stars at Ottawa, second period tied at one. Shane Pinto just chips it towards the net, and it goes off the body of Chris Tierney. So it's his goal. It's 2-1. It was a power play goal. And then on another power play, Tierney going hard to the net, banks it post and in. Uh, not a couple of beauties, but he'll take it. That was the game winner as the Sens take it 3-2. to two. Got some baseball now for you. Game two of the NLCS from Atlanta. Braves beat the Dodgers last night in game one. Top of the first. Dodgers jump out. It's Corey Seager with a towering homer to right center. A two-run shot. But Atlanta has come back to tie it. 2-2 now in the fifth. And we'll finish off with some golf. PGA Tour final round of the CJ Cup from Vegas. Rory McIlroy in the final group. Trailed Ricky Fowler by two at the start of the day. But... Rory with an eagle at the par 5 14th from off the green gets it to 25 under and a three shot lead Colin Morikawa playing ahead at the par 5 18th after an incredible approach makes the eagle putt to get within one at 24 under 10 under 62 for Morikawa but McElroy played it safe at 18 and taps in for the win it's his 20th career pga tour win as he takes the cj cup mackenzie hughes the only canadian in the field was tied for 25th and that is it for sports jordan back to you all right thanks barry up next diving into a very unique hobby we're talking about homemade submarines stay with us this is bc with jay durant brought to you in part by fortis bc bc Join Variety, the children's charity, and Global BC as we celebrate Variety Week, October 18th to 22nd. Tune in to Global News as we share stories that highlight the hope your help can bring. Variety Week on Global BC. It's not often someone's hobby sets personal records and helps with scientific research, but Jay Durant found a Fairmont Hot Springs man who's managed to do just that. In tonight's installment of This is BC... So this is our safety cover, Anthony. It is uh, a bowl that my wife generously let me use. Hank Pronk is taking his homemade E3000 out for a spin. Five feet from bottom. It's his latest and greatest personal sub. 
We're coming up on an object. It's the world's deepest diving homemade submarine at 3,000 feet. Um, building a submarine to 1,000 feet is fairly basic, but going to 3,000 feet is very, very serious. It has been pressure tested by professionals, but his personal best is 335 feet in local lakes. This right here is an altimeter. So for the most part, this unique hobby is fairly safe. I think my wife would like it if I collected stamps. Fortunately, there have never been any close calls, and he does go out a lot, at least once a week for two to three hours down into his huge personal aquarium. When I'm alone, sometimes I just take the stub out by myself. I cruise out into the lake and I dive. I'll just sit and watch the fish and eat my lunch. I don't just go out there and do another one. Hank moves homes for a living. All of his engineering skills for this he learned online. So here's the basic motor and tube. Like looking up how to fix a leaky faucet, Google can show you how to build a personal sub. You will never miss a dive with an oil compensated motor. Most of it came from the internet in a, a uh, a group called psubs.org. Interactions at the dock are always memorable. It can cause quite a stir when someone rolls up with a submarine. Half the people say you couldn't pay me to get in that thing and the other half of the people would like to go for a ride. He has to decline. It's a liability issue. Although Hank has donated time in his subs for scientific research. A tiny bit. And he sold one to a private buyer for $75,000 but the E3000 is the last one he'll ever make. Maybe. Well, I say that, and I intend that, but chances are I'll get bored. There's just no way of knowing. And we're starting to rise now. Jay Durant, Global News. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Now let's find out if a submarine is necessary for tomorrow's commute. I can tell you it is. Yeah, we needed it over the weekend, but luckily yeah. for the start of the work week, it is drawing out. We just have some fog, cloud cover in the morning, and then really the, one of the nicest days will be on Tuesday before next the next round of rain on Wednesday. All right, we'll take it. Thanks, Yvonne, and thank you for watching tonight's news hour. We're back at 11. Until then, good night.